0: Terms and conditions
1: apply. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeton from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. Or call 562 314 4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: The numbers told the story,
2: they always do. This is a numbers game with Gil Alexander on VSAN. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics.
3: Hour number two of a numbers game at VSAN, the Sports Betting Network, Visa.com, the VSAN app, Fubo Sling Game Plus, iHeartRadio, YouTube TV. It's all brought to you by BetMGM Nevada. It's Gil Alexander. Jeff Parlay is here as well. Um,. Apparently, uh, my comments about uh, the the Penguins goaltender is it Domingue? Is that how you uh, pronounce it? Yeah, were, was a was a gross understatement when I say to say that he uh, didn't expect to enter the game. <laughs> uh, it's been pointed out to me would be a big a bit of an understatement. He admitted he wasn't. This is a this is a seventeen for seventeen save performance. Uh, he admitted he wasn't engaged all the time while watching the action on the bench between the first and second overtimes. Dominga ate a bowl of spicy pork and broccoli, which was intended for a post-game meal for the team. It's not great, he said. <laughs> How about that, the Pittsburgh Penguins one to nothing lead, best of seven series against the Rangers. All right, let's bring him in from under a cloud of smoke in Southern California. He, of course, is the host of the Wide World of Weingarten podcast, available where all podcasts are distributed. It is the great Jason Weingarten. How you doing, Jason?
2: Pretty good. How's it going? It's going very well. Uh, you
3: and I have talked about something offline that I, that I want to bring online here for a second, which is, uh, to the extent that you're willing to talk about it, I, I think you're willing, uh, which is that uh, you have been on this show for forever. Uh, we've done the podcast uh, prior to that. You and I have talked first innings for as long as we can remember, and it's one of those things that... Uh, you've bet successfully for years and years and years, and we never really gave away the secret sauce. We're not going to give away the secret sauce of this today either. But it is a fascinating thing in anything like that. We'll just use first innings. Will there be a run scored? Will there not be a run scored? It's fascinating in anything in sports betting uh, to, know, to, to have done something for years and years and years, to know really, even from the bookmaker side of it, why we're betting what we're betting, and then observing now in the year 2022, after PASPA has been ruled unconstitutional, a cottage industry of quote-unquote experts betting first innings that we know are dispensing horrific advice. Is that a good sort of preamble to what you'd like to say about this subject?
2: I described it as the stupid convention and stupid town. Um, I think <laughs> I think that's a accurate description of what we're seeing.
3: And, and let's be specific about that. We, we, there's a, there's a cottage industry of, of no way there's even an acronym for it, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, you'd be, you'd be better off, you know, flipping coins or any system, you know, I, I think, I mean, we're just seeing some of the dumbest stuff on a day to day basis. And it, it, it it's kind of a thing where part of me is like, well, you should just ignore it. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. And these guys are creating value for you. But as I've mentioned before, I think one of the the hardest things in, in gambling and in, when you're doing gambling content is teaching people to do something after they've picked up bad habits. And there's all these people that they just don't have the consumer's best interest in mind. They, they don't care they they'll put anything out there any content and it's what's crazy to me is is that this type of content is is such a breakdown in in, in the the you want to call it journalism that there's nobody at any level no editors no management nobody that says hey this is crap this is not good and it, it just keeps. You know, as long as it gets clicks, that's all people care about.
3: Yes, that is okay. So you hit, you've hit on the essence of it, which I would like to just buttress by by saying it in a in a different way, which is, there are people in decision making positions, uh, in sports betting content, sports betting media, who are who come from the perspective of, everything will find its audience. Right. And that's their North Star. Right. Their North Star is for every Jason Weingarten out there. There's this other person and there's this other person. And just because those other people are doing it, are doing something different, they or or I was going to say they believe that those things are equally valid because those things will each find their own audience to which. I am in your camp, right? To which I get in, like, I just, my, I have a a repulsive reaction to which I'm like, no, that's, that's not correct, right? All things aren't equal, even if they get equal audiences, even if it, and even more so, even if that thing gets a bigger audience, that doesn't make it right. There's a, in some cases, there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And that's exactly, I think, what you're getting at, which is. The people who who have the power, right, don't seem to get that notion.
2: The people who have the power don't understand the long term versus the short term, and you know, short term clicks versus uh, you know, long term customer sustainability. If you're blowing your customers out of the water, teaching them to bet no scores every day then long term you're not going to have any customers and the ones you do are all going to be wired with negative feedback because that's all they know is losing 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 you know they win every once in a while and then they they lose yo one and a half units for every unit they win or whatever I mean you're not going to make money over time laying minus 135 minus 150 minus 180 on these things and to, to teach people to do that it's you know it's it's embarrassing. I don't have a lot of positive adjectives to describe it, but yeah. I do enjoy taking a moment out of my day to find <laughs> okay. the fades and yeah. bet against them because well, they're, they're doing the work for us, Gil, you know, yes. we do have to appreciate that, that, they,
3: that you know, that is a good point. They are doing it. Cause they're, they, if anything, they might be moving
2: lines in, in, in the, in your no, favor. no one's moving lines. No one's no one's moving lines off these action. In, now, in fact, I've, I've been talking to books. I'm telling them you should you should slightly dejuice these lines to get more action. If, <laughs> if idiots are gonna bet on the wrong side, just just keep booking it.
3: Well, what we're saying is there's a there's a cottage industry of N R F I. Right, no run first inning. This is it's a, it's a it's a growing population. Right, you're probably right. It's probably not big enough to do anything. Uh, impactful at this point but who knows could get there one day um, but what we're saying basically is use it for fade not for follow so just
2: leave it yeah there. and so the thing I you know it's it's hard to just blindly fade people but truthfully when you find somebody that's so bad at something all you can do is just bet against them till they go broke because they will and you either in gambling you either learn and get better or you continue to you know, pretend like, you know, things and everyone else will make money off your work, except you, but we'll make money betting on the other side.
3: What are your plays today? Jason, what have you bet so far?
2: I'll tell you one sec. I got to pull it up. I got it. I got it right here. I bet. I bet some baseball overnight. Uh, looks like I bet the twins under seven and a half minus half minus one twenty. I don't know how much I like that anymore. And let's see. I have Astros minus one seventy two and Mets minus one twenty one today. All right, I'm showing the Astros up at minus one ninety five. How high
3: would you bet the the Astros?
2: I'd probably pass, but that's that's just an example of sometimes why you got to bet things early.
3: And what was the and with the Twins? Were you saying you don't like it? Because why don't you like that anymore? Did it move?
2: I don't remember why I bet that yesterday. To be honest, <laughs> I just kind of looked at it now. I'm yeah. like, I bet that's under seven yeah. and a half yesterday. Okay, all right, I bet it. Sometimes you make a bet, and then you just don't remember why you made it the next day. Yeah, the, I understand. A lot of volume, you know? What now? The general run environment,
3: I was mentioning a couple days ago. There, there was the famous, uh, you and I texted about this, there was the famous Diamondbacks-Marlins game. It was Zach Gallen and it was Pablo Lopez. Two pitchers who have really low ERAs heading into that game. And the, uh, the first inning was plus 155 on a yes run being scored. But beyond first innings, we're seeing pitching matchups, Jason, between two starting pitchers— that literally if I walked around this casino and I asked, do you know who this player is? Do you know who this player is? 80% of the people wouldn't even know who these guys are. And we're seeing totals of seven. We're seeing totals of six and a halves with guys you've never heard of. That's baseball right now. Are you finding that while, you know, a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people in, in mainstream media are like, ah, baseball, you know, the run environment, there's no home runs. But from a betting perspective, that gives us, like, massive opportunities, doesn't it? Are you finding that you're turning off your brain in a lot of these numbers and just saying, well, that's an over? My goodness, on principle.
2: I mean, as as they continue to get depressed, like I noticed today, they're all, like, seven, seven-and-a-half, eights. So, yeah, you know, I obviously find myself leaning towards the overs on, on some of these more often than not just because there's no – There's no leeway when you're taking an under six and a half, you know, you, you, you've got to be correct. There's, you know, only so many runs you can give up on a six and a half. But I think, uh, I I actually think I prefer this style of baseball Mm -hmm. with the dead ball where you're not getting cheap home runs from, you know, I was telling one of my friends yesterday, it's kind of nice that every second baseman isn't a 25, 30 home run hitter all of a sudden. It's it's nice that there's power hitters and there's not power hitters again and you know, every ball doesn't just fly over the fence. Although I do I do expect the the ball probably does the MLB finds a way to get a a, a more exciting ball as the season goes on if I had to uh had to, had to, guess. to handicap that. Yeah, yeah, I'm
3: sure they will <laughs> at some point. Uh the reds are uh the Reds are three and twenty, for God's sakes. Three and twenty. Like they've done a really spectacular job of tanking and three and 20 adjusted season. Win total over at William Hill is still in the mid sixties. And I know we don't want to overreact, but like, are they going to be so bad that even 65 and a half is a, is way too high of a number.
2: I mean, it's hard to see where those wins are going to come from based on how they've been playing to start. And obviously you know, the worst MLB teams aren't as bad as they look on their worst day, but the reds really aren't an MLB team. They're a triple a team with Joey Votto and uh, Luis Castillo. And I wouldn't guarantee either one of those guys are still on the team come the right. trade deadline. So Minus. Yeah, I'd say I'd say that number is high.
3: Yeah, I would too. Minus sixty-eight. Their run differential through twenty-three games. Jason, we've gotten to the point of the year where we want you on twice a week. We'll see you again this week. Yes.
2: Abs- absolutely. Looking forward to it.
3: Looking forward to it. Jason Weingarten, everybody at Spreadopedia on Twitter, host of the Wide World of Weingarten podcast. Always fascinating. We'll come back. Uh, the sports cavalcade continues. Brady Cannon on golf and so much more. Next. Numbers gave of these sports betting. Now. At bet
0: 365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. The Numbers Game with Gil Alexander on Vison the Sports Betting Network.
1: The Kentucky
3: Derby is Saturday. This just in, and right now Veasan's offering you a special $9.99 Kentucky Derby betting guide with previews of all the horses and jockeys for every race, plus best bets for the entire weekend, including the Run for the Roses. Pre-order your copy now for only $9.99. It's $9.99 at vison.com derbyguide That's Derby derbyguide They interviewing the horses for this betting guide, Jeff. Is anybody on record? Oh, I, I hope so. That would, be, that would be great content, right, Gil? Cyberknife, I am told you like the mud. Is that true? That kind of thing? That kind of insightful? No? Nothing like that? Huh. Nine ninety nine. 9 dollars Betting guy. slash Derby Guide. Ladies and gentlemen, we love having him on to talk golf. We love having him on to talk hockey as well. Uh, really, I love to have him on to talk anything. He's the greatest voice there has ever been in sports radio. I will not be debated on this subject. It's the great Todd Wright. Everybody, how you doing, Todd?
4: I'm not going to debate you, Gil. That's always
3: right. <laughs> really uh, so, so it's it's awesome that we have you here because we have the game ones now for all eight series in the books. Last night, amazing game between the uh, the Penguins and the Rangers. The Caps get it done as big dogs against Florida, and then we had two favorites coming home, one in dramatic fashion, one sort of uh, squeaked by. Uh, but everything went sort of uh, with those late games, according to form. Which is which is the series? Let's go in your wheelhouse first with Toronto and Tampa Bay, which is really the marquee matchup. Obviously, Toronto couldn't have gone better for them in game one, Todd. Five to nothing, blanking of the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, Lightning. But where do you see it going from here?
4: Uh well, based on what you're throwing up there, I, I think the Lightning are a wonderful value at, uh, at plus 115 for Game 2. An overlooked thing that John Cooper occasionally says is that he doesn't mind being the road team um, in a seven-game playoff series. With the caveat, he says, I'd love to have Game 7 at home, but there are a lot of advantages to playing the first two games on the road. You get your team together. You get them away from family. They don't have to deal with ticket requests. They don't have to deal with things at home. There's that team environment traveling to the first game. Now, it didn't look very good at all in that first game, but I think Cooper has their attention. This is a veteran team. They know what's at stake. And I felt all along that the plan was get one of the first two, come back to Tampa Bay, and try to take hold of the series, make it 3-1 going back to Toronto, to me, nothing has been thrown off at all. Uh, the Lightning strengths are Toronto's weaknesses when it comes to postseason experience. And let's remember, and you guys have brought it up, Toronto, highest goals against average in the regular season of the 16 playoff teams.
3: You have the Lightning as one of the four teams you believe could win the Cup. If the Lightning don't advance here, though, you believe the reason will be what
4: specifically? Uh Mikhail Sergachev is a liability on the blue line for the Lightning. Around here, apologists for Sergachev and the biggest one is Kucherov. Some would even say that Sergachev and not Gord, who went to Seattle in the expansion draft, is still in Tampa Bay because Kucherov would flip, just absolutely flip out if uh, if Sergachev had gone to Seattle. But. Uh, I think the Lightning would have been better off with Gord still centering a makeshift, a new third line, than Sergachev consistently making mistakes that he doesn't learn from. He's been in the league long enough. He's paid $6.2 million per year. He made a bad mistake five minutes into, on his second or third shift, the Toronto game. It didn't cost them then, but it set a bad tone. And I've been waiting for Sergachev. To either get his act together or be a healthy scratch at some point here along the way. Just watching the shifts of number 98 all year have been a horror story for the Lightning.
3: You, by the way, you're you're a guy who lives there in Central Florida. You have not been shy about uh, knocking... Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers management over the years, obviously not so much, perhaps in the in the recent year or two. Oh, I
4: can knock, I cannot knock Jason Light for picking his seventh running back in nine drafts. <laughs> <and> th- <laughs> the previous six didn't even make the final roster, so we can do that
3: too. <laughs> it's, uh, I was going to lead. I said you're not as. What I was getting at it was you're you're not as bearish on the Lightning brass, right? You like this franchise better.
4: Oh yeah. For sure. uh, Yes, yes, I I, I do. And of those four, because you you and I communicated before the playoffs began, um, Gil, I think the way you look at the NFL or college football, where so much is about coaching quarterback, I use that approach in the NHL. It's coaching goaltending. So when I looked out there, I saw a clear four that could get to the conference finals. I think I'll be right on two or three, maybe all four. And to me, that coach-goaltender combination with enough other things working to their advantage were Tampa Bay, the New York Rangers, the St. Louis Blues, and the Calgary Flames.
3: Two of those people might find a little surprising, the Rangers and the Blues, but you, you really do believe in those two teams. Obviously, the Rangers down a game now in their series, but the Blues up a game.
4: Yeah, I, I don't read a lot into the Rangers. Look, if you, looked, if you lose a, a double, triple, quadruple, five, six overtime game in like a game four or a game five, you don't recover from that in a seven-game series. You can recover from it in a game one. You can. And the Ranger goaltender is outstanding. Uh, they've, they've got a player up front who scores more game-winning goals than anyone else in the National Hockey League in the re- regular season. They have a head coach, hint, hint, Las Vegas, that knows how to win postseason mm-hmm. games.
3: Don't get me um, So you have,
4: so they have that going for them. And as far as the Blues, if you remember Gil, I had that ticket very early on when the Blues got hot with Barubi as the interim coach and Bennington as rookie goaltender. And I said, you know what, St. Louis is going to be a tough out in these 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs. They never were out, and they, and even though they went with Viliuso, they could still play the Bennington card if they have to. I think they're the strongest one-two goaltenders in the nhl and, and i think that blues organization and they finish hot knows how to advance in the stanley cup playoffs by the way gil a golf note the e-bug the emergency backup goaltender last night so once the ming went in the e-bug gets on notice every city has one yeah. that is forced to play if all the other goaltenders for any team are unavailable he's not only a former hockey player he was on the golf team in addition to the hockey team in college. So that was, that's what was behind Deming last night.
3: Yeah, eating eating fried rice or whatever he said he was eating uh, during, during the game, expecting it. Bad move. A bad move, yeah. And by the way, I got your Gerard Gallant uh, note there. Everyone in Las Vegas did as well as as a Caps guy. Uh, insert Boudreaux in that same kind of conversation as something that it was always perplexing generally to the Caps fan base. You did want, Brady Cannon is coming up next. We're going to talk uh, PGA and the Wells Fargo Championship at uh, Avenel in my neck of the woods there in Potomac, Maryland, just outside of D.C. Uh, you had something to say about that as well.
4: Yeah, the um, I would shy away from Rory this week to win for the reason that the Wells Fargo is the toughest PGA Tour event, non-major, non-WGC, to defend because of some of the things that the defending champion is required to do. Uh, It's different than other PGA Tour events. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you an example. So from Sean O'Hare, who won in 2008, to Max Homa, who won in 2019, Gil, here in sequential order is how every champ defended the next year. Missed cut, missed cut, missed cut. Miss uh, MDF tied for thirtieth, missed cut. Tied for fourth. That was Rory. tie for fifty ninth, seventy fourth. tie for twenty fourth, missed cut. I'm still seeing so a this pattern. Is, this is a different type of golf course, so you can't apply previous uh, Wells Fargo's to this because they're not a Quail Hollow. It's not a Bombers course. the The tournament committee and the sponsor ask more things of the defending champ that seemingly takes them out of their routine.
3: Interesting. And 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 that's just – do you think that that has – I mean, that's a very interesting thing about this particular tournament. I wonder if there are golfers who believe that they have a shot at winning this that just don't show up knowing that if they do, they'll have to go through this the following year. Is that, like, outlandish to say?
4: I mean, you asked Brady. I mean, we had one of the worst fields of 2022 last week at the Mexico Championship. So, it's obviously, this one is an upgrade. Yeah, for I sure. I don't think it's that significant of an upgrade. Uh, I don't I don't see a lot of uh, threats at Southern Hills, other than maybe Rory McIlroy, who are playing in this event. And if it was being played at Quail Hollow, which it isn't because they're hosting the President's Cup later in the year, they'd probably be there. Combination, of course, and yeah. Because you don't say no. When you win a tournament, you say yes to everything they want for the next year. Sure. But apparently there are more asks from the Wells Fargo Championship than any other PGA Tour event.
3: Rory is plus 850. Everybody else to win outright at Wells Fargo is 20 to one or longer. Rory, who won a, uh, a major just down the road over there at Congressional, very familiar with the area, but uh, plus 850. Uh, we only have 30 seconds here. Do you have a pick? Would you? I know you play a lot of DFS. Who, who will be incorporated in your DFS, let's say?
4: Oh, I'm leaning Corey Connors um, over Rory McIlroy just because of the style of golf course, because of Corey Connors' ball striking. The last month. I'd love for you to ask Brady about this and the factors that I talked about staying off the defending champion. I was at that U.S. Open that Rory won at Congressional Gill. Rory was asked about being so far in front and how he stayed focused. I'll never forget this. He said when it gets like that, I play every three holes like my own tournament and I'm trying to finish each three hole combination one under par. So it's six tournaments within 18 holes. He's trying to finish each Group of three holes, one under par. That's how he keeps himself motivated.
0: I love that.
3: Todd, appreciate it. We'll do the Jason Light roast another time. Looking forward to that. Todd Wright, everybody, on a numbers game at v the Sports Betting Network. Brady Cannon on the Wells Fargo Championship next.
0: A numbers game with Gil Alexander on v the Sports Betting Network.
3: Back on a numbers game, live from the South Point Hotel Casino, tip of the strip. Home of Hall of Famers, Chris Andrews and Vinny Maliolo. It's Gil Alexander. Brady Cannon, kind enough to join us in studio, as is always the case on Wednesdays. Always a treat to have you here, Brady. Thank you. Todd Wright was uh, on before, and he was like, ask Brady about this, ask Brady about that. Did you know about the uh, what no, he was No, that was about really him? interesting. Yeah.
5: Um, and I'm very familiar with Quail Hollow Club, which is where they typically play the Wells Fargo Championship. They're not doing it, as Todd said, they're not doing it there this year because the President's Cup will be at Quail Hollow. Mm-hmm. Same thing that happened in 2017. The PGA Championship was at Quail Hollow when Justin Thomas won. They did not hold the Wells Fargo at Quail Hollow that year either. It was at Eagle Point Golf Club, another Fazio design in Wilmington, North Carolina. This year, they're, as you know, they're going to TPC Potomac.
3: And Avonel does not have a regular tour stop anymore. Not anymore.
5: 2017, yeah. 2018, they held the Quicken Loans National. That was the most recent version we've seen of TPC Potomac. Um, but what I did not know was what Todd was talking about, the commitments yeah. and the ask of the defending champion. Yeah,
3: Very interesting. And that's good intel right there. That is interesting. The the other thing, he was, you know, he likes Corey Connors a lot. And he was curious too. if you do. Yeah, you do.
5: I do, yeah. Matt Humans and I are both on Corey Connors. And I thought, you know, exactly along the same lines that Todd was explaining. Uh, I also took Corey Connors in a matchup at plus 115 over Rory McIlroy. Now, Rory, you talk about a horse for a course. He's phenomenal at Quail Hollow, and I think he's won it twice. But And Todd mentioned a fourth-place finish. He's had a number of high finishes there, including, uh, I believe, a couple wins. Um But this is a totally different golf course. Both golf courses are very difficult, Quail Hollow and TPC Potomac, but very different styles. Uh, Quail Hollow is a big beast of a property. Uh, TPC Potomac, you're going to have to be very accurate off the tee, maybe not even take driver and dial down some of your tee shots. Accuracy is at a premium, ball striking, and, and that's Corey Connors' game, one of the most accurate drivers of the golf ball off of the tee on tour and Rory you know when when he's not able to unleash his driver that's probably his biggest weapon and I don't think that'll be the case here this week. So, you know, when you're, when you're handicapping the Wells Fargo, don't go back to past history of the Wells Fargo because that's all at a different golf course. And like I say, both of these courses are hard, but very different in style. TPC Potomac in 2017, I mentioned the Quicken Loans National. It was the fourth rated uh, hardest golf course on the PGA Tour that year. Uh, the winning score that year was seven under par. Yeah. So you' you're not looking at 20 something under par probably this week maybe maybe we get to double digits
3: That's a tough golf course for sure You walk that course you can almost see it by by just mere sight Who else besides Connors?
5: Uh, Connors at 20 to 1. Russell Henley uh, at 30 to 1. He was very steady across all my stats this week. Number one in the field for strokes gained approach. And of course, we talked about how we expect that to be a, a big statistic this week, maybe more emphasized than it usually is. It's always important week in and week out. But also the correlated courses I use TPC River Highlands, the Wyndham Sedgefield Country Club, and then TPC Sawgrass. Russell Henley has a great history at all of those properties. Uh, Seamus Power I went with at 35 to 1. You've got uh, 12 par fours on this golf course, and the majority of them are 450 to 500 yards. Seamus Power is fourth in the field on par fours of that length. He also played here in both 2017 and 2018, made the cut both times, so he's got some familiarity with the track. Siwoo Kim at 50 to 1. This guy has a remarkable Mm. record uh, at the Wyndham and uh, also the... um, uh, TPC Sawgrass, where he's one at each uh, property, very steady across the board in the stats that I looked at, very accurate off the tee. Also twenty seventh in the field uh, on approach from one hundred and seventy five to two hundred yards. That's the distance of the approach shot that you're going to find these players faced with the majority of the time on this golf course. So I looked at how good guys are from approaching from that distance, one seventy five to two hundred yards. Uh, Joel Damon at fifty one to one. This guy was the best on my card across all the stats this week, 21st on tour and driving accuracy, 12th in the field on strokes gained approach, second on the par fours from 450 to 500, and 10th in strokes gained off the tee. He also finished 23rd here back in 2018. And then uh, my couple long bombs, I went back to the well with Adam Long. I had Adam Long last week in Mexico at 60 to 1. And he fared very well, just kind of came apart a little bit on the weekend, but still had a top-20 finish for me that cashed. He's at 80-1 to 1 this week. Great short game, very accurate off the tee. Uh, CT Pan I also took at 80-1. to 1. Um, He has uh, finished 17th at TPC Potomac in 2018, 25th in proximity from 175 to 200, and also 20th on tour in driving accuracy.
3: Wow. You're all over the place on this one. Dove into the stats this week, yeah.
5: and uh, hopefully we come up with a winner. You know, it's been 10 weeks that the Long Shots crew has not had an outright winner. We came what? out of the gate so hot in what? 2022, uh, just on fire on the West Coast swing. And ever since we went to Florida, we've been cashing a lot of top 20s, having the leaderboards surrounded, but uh, haven't been able to get the winner home.
3: Lurkers, just not the guy yet. Yeah,
5: I mean, I, yeah. I had Patrick Cantley in a playoff at, at mm. Harbortown. Brutal. Um, yeah. I had Alex Smalley last week who ended up finishing about fourth, I believe. And Cameron Champ uh, was a pick of Wes Reynolds and Matt Humans that didn't quite make it. But you're close, due. but no cigar. You're yes, due. we do.
3: All right. So later this month, I was talking tennis earlier, which is, okay, French Open, second uh, tennis major happening later this month on May 22nd. May 19th, two weeks from now, is the PGA Championship. Yes, sir. Golf second major of the year. Looking forward to it you have you have added to your portfolio of bets.
5: Yeah, we may have discussed this last week. I took Jordan Spieth at 34 to 1, and I can't find that number anymore. Uh, I got that at Circa, it's now down to 25. And even when I got it at 34, all I saw was 20 or 25, so I jumped on that for Jordan to uh, complete the career Grand Slam. Uh, and, you know, I like the form that he's in. He just won at Harbortown, just beat my guy Patrick Cantley in that playoff. But I've started to do some research on this course. It's a Perry Maxwell design who also designed Colonial Country Club, you know, the Colonial Tournament mm-hmm. in Fort Worth, Texas. Jordan Spieth has won there before. Jason Kokrak has won there before. Daniel Berger has won there before in a playoff over Colin Morikawa. So, I've always thought Colonial was a good indicator for U.S. Open success, and Southern Hills, where they're playing the PGA, is both a PGA and a U.S. Open track. So, I think that translates a little bit. Uh, so, I took Morikawa at 16 to 1. I've seen him at 18 to 1. You can get a better number there. I took Will Zalatoris at 34 to 1, Daniel Berger at 46. And then, your buddy Matt Brown uh, tipped me on Tommy Fleetwood. This guy's kind of been flying under the radar with some really strong finishes as of late. And he's at 105 to 1 at Circa on Tommy Fleetwood. So I took a shot with him. And then I mentioned Jason Kokrak. He's at 130 to 1. So I went with strong iron players, guys that have a good history at Colonial. Uh, I think, I actually, I think this course this week, TPC Potomac, I think will be a little bit of an indicator. Um, the, the fairways are wider. It's a bigger beast of a golf course, is Southern Hills. But I think it's very much going to be about ball striking and second shots and approaches into the green and that type of thing. Some of the similar skill sets I think you're going to need this week will translate well at Southern Hills. So I went with really strong iron players who have a good history at the correlated courses. A
3: few things. One, we just got a promo on one of the screens in front of us for the Connors that show. So a little omen for Corey Connors Okay, perfect. Okay. I like that type of thing. That thing happened. Just happened. I saw it's a Bullock's Oriole
5: in my yard the other day, and I bet on the Orioles when they won as big
3: dogs. Oh, you know, that's that good that angle. Thing matters. It's a good angle, Brady. <laughs> All right, not mentioned in your PGA uh, list there. I didn't hear Scotty Shetler, did I? Scotty Scheffler.
5: I'm going to probably add a couple more. I've got six outrights. I'll probably add two more, and they will probably be of the shorter or odds ilk. Yeah. Scotty might be one of them. I think TPC Scott's to be. Doesn't he have to be the, part of this? You know, I You'll said the same thing with the numbers. Know. Or I said the same thing with the Masters. I don't like the number, but right. you know what? And, and is a guy going to really win his first major and then win another one? He calls this his favorite course,
3: by the way. I know. That's why I ask. Here's the thing. I, I made this case during the Masters. I think this is different with this guy. I really do.
5: I, I may land on him. Yeah. I might land on Kepka. I might land on Cantley. I got to find out who those other two, I'll probably add two more. But Scotty Scheffler, I've done some research on this golf course. And again, correlated courses that come up are TPC Scottsdale and Bay Hill. Who won there this year? Scotty Scheffler, both of them.
3: Also, not mentioned, and I feel contractually obligated to mention this. You know where I'm going with this. Terrell Hatton. Uh, no. He's your guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tigers in the field? Is that yeah. happening? Yeah, I think he's going to play. He's like 100 to 1. Yeah. I bet him
5: for the British Open. I, I I skipped a major. Yeah, I like St. Andrews being very flat. It won't be nearly as difficult for him to walk as Augusta was. He's won at St. Andrews twice before. Um, there's a correlation be- between Augusta National and St. Andrews, and we saw Tiger perform pretty well for thirty six holes at Augusta. Um, but I'm not ready to I'm not ready to jump on him uh, for the PGA just yet. Yeah, no. Let him get a little more
3: healthy. I wouldn't imagine you. would be. I just felt like I should bring it up just in case. Well, sure, he's yeah. tiger, right? He's tiger. He doesn't uh, move the needle. He is the needle. but the open championship is, is the British, as we used to call it here. The Open championship is set up beautifully flat mm-hmm. and ready for him to play.
5: Yeah. That's why I like it. I got him at 50 to 1. I've seen him as low as 25. Okay. Brady, we appreciate it. You bet. Golf on a Wednesday, as
3: always. Eight sports on the show today football, basketball, baseball, hockey, horse racing, soccer, golf, tennis. We go back to where we started basketball, mode to keel on the NBA next. Numbers game Visa, the Sports Betting Network.
0: The Numbers Game with Gil Alexander on VSEN, the Sports Betting Network.
3: BetMGM, the king of sports books, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you can earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like free bets and risk-free tokens. Planning a trip to Vegas? You can also convert your BetMGM points into MGM Rewards points that you can use towards dining, shows, and hotel rooms at over twenty. Count them, 20 MGM Resorts properties located on the Las Vegas Strip and nationwide. Bet MGM Rewards Sports Betting's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks. When you wager on the Bet MGM app, sign up with Bet MGM or log on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with Bet MGM Rewards. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We get tweets! At Beating the Book, always appreciate the uh, feedback. Uh, Eric Biggio, he says, I know I'm in the minority, but I love horse racing and hockey talk. I'm with you, Eric, especially this time of year. Mike Alvarez, <laughs> always love Mike's tweets. He said, hey, fancy college boy, you think us cowboys and bowlers at the South Point don't love Ega? <laughs> don't love Ega, Spiatek. Uh, that's funny. Uh, let's see here. to This is also from... Uh, Uh, Also from Eric He said the over seven and a half sports discussed today. Cash is well done. Gill and Jeff primetime. Stop everything and listen. Jason Weingarten on with Gil on VEASAN live. Obviously tweeted that during the uh, Jason Weingarten uh, segment. Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to run Burgundy through all of these, but uh, Anthony Thompson, what do you say here? Love listening to Gil on a numbers game. Uh, Talk about handicappers for giving out no run first inning plays. Then looking at Twitter, he sees no run, no run first inning plays everywhere. Uh, call I won't call out anybody specific. So uh, eight sports. Let's go back to the first one we talked about, which was basketball today. And we bring in Mo Dekeel, who joined us uh, a couple weeks ago. We had such a good time with him. We'll we'll talk to him uh, once again as often as he wants to come
6: on. Good morning to you once again, Mo. How you doing? Morning, Gil. I got since you're talking a little Kentucky Derby. There's a horse named that Mo. I'm betting him. That's that's the tip right there, folks. That's the tip. That's all you Met need. Mo. <laughs> you,
3: it's it's funny. I that's that's all it takes sometimes in horse racing for for people to get in on the action. And good for you. We'll see if that works out. Uh, by yeah,
6: the, we'll we'll find out if I'm a millionaire next week. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> that's right. By the way, uh, Mo, uh, founder of the Jumpball.net, of course, uh, works at Bleacher Report. Podcast with the Athletic as well. You know, let's let's try to get through all four of these, and I, I want to start with the ones last night. Uh, Warriors end up getting knotted up by the Grizzlies, one game apiece. Controversy on the Draymond Green foul on the rebound, where it did, for some people thought John ja Morant took a fall there, um, others did not. Either way. The, the most consequential part of that game last night was the injury to Gary Payton. Dylan Brooks with the uh, immediate ejection. We'll see if he gets suspended. How do you feel about this series in general, though? I, I really felt after Game 1 when the Grizzlies didn't win that one. that Game 2 was not only must win, but it's probably the only game I thought that they would have a, a real shot at winning. I would not be surprised if the
6: Warriors won out here. You think this is going far? No, I think this is going to go uh, five, maybe six. I mean, you look at it this way. Steph Curry hasn't shot the ball well, and and granted he hasn't all year, but even now he's missing wide, wide open threes. Clay Thompson's missing a ton of open looks. Same with Jordan Poole in this game. I feel like they just haven't really played well. I think they were a little bit shook Gil in game two with the injury to, to Peyton. And I think that kind of threw them off guard. And then also, you know, Draymond had to miss some time. Cause he took an inadvertent elbow yes. uh, to and and, and missed a, a time to get stitches in the back. So I think it kind of just threw rotations off and everything that goes with it in the game. And I feel like, you know, they didn't play that well in either of those games. I mean, the Grizzlies are, uh, I mean, they had every break they needed in game one to win that game and they didn't, they should be kicking themselves. They should be leaving Memphis up two zero. 0 but, you know, now it's it's 1-1 and you're going into Golden State. Like, I think this is going to be a series where Golden State's going to start to get going. And I, I'm i just looking at Curry. I think he's just due for an explosion. I do, too. And
3: Clay's got to have a game here where he explodes as well. I agree with you. He's just had a miserable couple games. Uh, the other one, by the way, game three, not till Saturday. I Like, I have no idea how that scheduling uh, worked out. <laughs> uh, Milwaukee and Boston was the other one last night. Celtics must-win situation. They not up that series, but Milwaukee had already taken home court from them. That will resume on Saturday. And, you know, I was saying earlier, the Celtics have taken 93 threes, 93 three-point attempts in the first two games. The first game, they only made 10 two-point buckets. Last night, they only made 18. And, you know, I don't want to simplify things too much, but will this whole series just come down to how well the Celtics shoot from behind the arc?
6: it's not going to be just how well the Celtics shoot from behind the arc. It's how do they get to those three skill? Like that's the important thing. When you watch the way they played in game one, it was a lot of one-on-one hero ball. I mean, you had guys like Peyton Pritchard pulling up on his own, you know, and, and, and trying to, to, to hit 25 point shots or, or whatnot, almost like with the old school rock and jock days. And I feel like it was a, very out of character game from Boston. I felt like game two, they did a great job attacking the paint and then kicking it out. Listen, they're not going to beat the Milwaukee bucks in the paint. The bucks have Giannis and they have Brooke Lopez. We even saw it on a play where they got a three out of it. Jalen Brown went to try to dunk on Lopez. He rejects the shot. Celtics recover the ball, kick it out for a three. I feel like this is going to be one of those series where they're going to have to shoot it really well from three. But for me, the important thing is how are they getting those shots? If they're getting it off a ball movement and penetration and attacks into the paint and getting the defense moving, I think they have a real shot.
3: Bucks favored by two and a half in game three, projecting all the way to Saturday. Now warriors six and a half point favorites.
6: Do you like either side in either of those? Um, I, I, I like the warriors more than the bucks. Okay. Again, I just think, I think Boston can present a lot of problems for them. You saw the defense yeah. that Al Horford and Grant Williams were able to play on Giannis and we kind of haven't seen anybody physically stand up Giannis the way Horford has been able to. And even Williams, I feel like that's something that you got to keep an eye on. So for me, I think the I think the Celtics have a legitimate chance of at least winning one of those games yeah. in Milwaukee. Once well, it- I feel like Memphis, could be a little bit tougher.
3: Yeah, not, I guess that's what I meant. Warriors or the Celtics side. Like you like those two sides, but one better than the other. You, if, if given the choice, I,
6: I, I, I like the Warriors side better. Okay.
3: Uh, tonight, now these are game twos of series that were kind of. Listen, I guess the Sixers gave uh, the Heat a run for two and a half quarters. They won't have Joel Embiid again tonight in game two. The Heat are favored by eight and a half. We'll call it eight right now on the screen. Six and a half again is the number between the Suns and the Mavericks. Um, any reason to think that either of these games will go differently than the respective game ones? And how would you come down on the spreads? Let's start with the Sixers and the Heat tonight.
6: Yeah, I think the, the Heat have a good chance again to kind of run them out of the gym. I think they didn't play well in game one. I think they uh, threw the ball every which way and t- several turnovers. And that really kind of kept the Sixers in the game. The Sixers are searching for lineups. You know, Doc Rivers played 32 different lineups in game one. I wrote an article on it for Bleacher Report. And there was one really good one when he went really small and spread the floor. And then he went away from it in the second half. And I feel like that's going to be something they got to work on. And I don't know if they have enough on the court. Like, listen, it's an uphill battle for the Sixers without their star player. This dude's an MVP level guy. You lose him you're going to have a hard time winning any series or or, or very many games. And I feel like that's just a situation for them. I think the heat are going to win this one pretty easily with everything that they got.
3: Sixers have a shot once Embiid, if Embiid comes
6: back for game three and beyond or not really. I mean, I mean, they might have a shot to win a game, but I think going down too well at this point and Embiid, we don't know what shape he's, he's got a broken face, Gil. Yeah, man, He has (laughs) a broken face. Yes. Yeah, like we could we to call it all the other things. It's a broken face
3: and bead parentheses face and they move on in the injury report. All right. And then <laughs> and then tonight, the Suns, we got about a minute for this. The Suns are six point favorite, six and a half, somewhere in that pocket hosting the Mavericks. And, you know, on the one hand, I guess I could say, hey, look, it's the Suns. They, they seem to have reverted to how great they were during the regular season in game one. On the other hand, I guess you could make the case, and it was very in vogue to say before the postseason, like Luka and the Mavs might be the one team to give the Suns a fair shake here, run for their money, whatever expression you want to use. If Luka had just gotten a little more help maybe in game one, there could have been a different outcome. Obviously the spread came down uh, to the end, but the Suns were never in doubt of losing that. Do you think the Mavericks, like if you were if you were on the spread tonight, would you take the points with the Mavericks? And do you think the Mavs have a legit shot at winning this series?
6: I think I would take the points tonight. I don't think you're going to get as bad a performance from the Mavs offense. I mean, you think about it this way this game was almost lost at the start of the game where they had two turnovers, Luca missed a a floater in the lane and it was all Luca centric. And I think that was the mistake the team made. They got away from what helped them so much in the regular season and in the Utah series was when they had Luca on the court in that Utah series, I should say. But they played him off the ball a lot more. This game, they went straight isolation, put the ball in Luca's hands and hoped it worked out. That plays right into Phoenix's hands defensively. I think you got to work him off ball a little more, try to get Dinwiddie involved, try to get Brunson more involved. I think I, I think the Mavs will correct it, and and I like them here with the spread.
3: Mo, appreciate it. We'll see if we get a competitive game or two tonight. Enjoy the the, the next week, and we'll talk to you next week again.
6: Thanks for having me, Gil. Mo
3: Dekeel, everybody, you can follow him at Twitter uh, at Mo underscore Dekeel, D A K H I L. I want to have that right. Let me make sure I have that right. It is Mo Dekeel underscore NBA. There you go. Or cots up a set. Let's get it home. Lombardi line next. Enjoy from Visa, the Sports Betting Network.